0: Now, wasn't that good? Your music is such a blessing. You know, when you come to church, your mind is all over the place. You've thought about all kinds of things, and you hear the music. If you, if you allow yourself to think of the words and think of what's being said, I was thinking as Blake uh, as play, prayed, played, prayed probably prayed too, but as he played, the little phrase that says, If I saw thee as thou art, I would praise thee as I ought. If we could just love him that way, then we would praise him as we should. And then to see ourselves just as I am. That a beautiful, thank you Ashley, that was so good. All the music tonight was wonderful, it always thrills my heart, always prepares my heart for the message. If you did not receive a study question for next week's lesson, if you would raise your hand, our men have them. They're only $5 apiece, so we'll be glad to pass them out. Also after the service... I always, on purpose, sit here for a few minutes. Uh, One reason, because I'm too tired. The other reason is because I just like to sit here. And uh, there's counseling for $10 a minute, if you want to have free counseling. We talk about harmony in the home. Uh, All of us would like to have a home that is happy and everybody's doing well. But there's a concept we have to understand and accept. This is the basic concept Of what we're going to talk about, and also for Harmony in the Home. And here is the concept you cannot change others, you can only change yourself. When you change, others tend to change in relation to you. Everything in the Bible that talks about uh, things being different always has to do not with the other person, but with me. Uh, I have to change. Uh, The things that go on in my home are my fault. And Ellen has to worry about her fault. And you have to worry about your fault. Now, I want us to say this together. I know you can read. You were pretty pitiful last week doing this, but doing better this week. All right, here we go. Ready? You cannot change others. You can only change yourself. When you change, others tend to change in relation to you. Last week, we talked about the wife who had an unsaved husband. And uh, the culture was wrong. It was was hard. How how do you win an unsaved husband? Well, the the instruction to the wife is you have to change. You have to be pure. You have to be quiet. You have to have a reverent spirit. I mean, the the change had to take place in the husband. Now, here's here's the thing. Why? Because you can't change anybody else. You can't make your husband do well. You can't make your wife do right. You can only change yourself. Then he talked about the husband. How, how do you have a happy wife? Well, you learn to listen to her. You treat her with respect. You re, you protect her. See, the, the principle is all the way through Scripture. It is not the other person that has to change. It's me that has to change. And as I change, then God is able to change the heart of the one that I want to change. My wife, my husband, my mate, whatever. Often, here's how it says in our mind. We probably don't say it out loud, but here's what we say. If my husband would be more thoughtful, I would do better. Or, if my boss wasn't such a jerk, I would have a better attitude. Or, if mom and dad weren't so old-fashioned, I'd not be so stubborn. And the fact is, folk... God will hold each of us accountable, not for our wife, our husband, our boss, our parents, but for ourselves. How do we respond? How, what is our attitude? How do we deal with life? So, if you would please, but first of all, long introduction, short message. So you're going to see the, the, the scripture on the, on the screen, so I want you to read it carefully along with me. In James 1, here's a question. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not even? Your, even come not hence even of your lust that war in your members? So where do, where do wars and fightings come from? From your, from your lust. What are lusts? It's what you want. It's an overwhelming desire. So the Bible says, Hey, you know, we have all these neat little phrases we use to avoid couching things like the Bible does. Jim Berg said. You know, if we could just identify the problem in biblical terms, we would find a biblical answer. So, the you know, we use the term, we have sibling rivalry. Or we have necessary conflicts in our home. No. Where where does all this come from? It comes from our own lust. From what? We want. Look at it. You lust and have not. You kill, desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and you war. Yet you have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your list? how many of your homes sound like don't 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 respond to that you see, the, you see what's happening everybody wants their own way and everybody wants to do it the way they want it and so therefore if they don't get their way then they're going to get the other guy a problem and of course they're going to fight back on that And uh, that, so where do they come from all these wars and fightings they come from wanting things our way let me give you an example two boys in the home. One's five and one is three. And they're playing and they have toys all over the place as little boys do. And so the younger boy picks up a truck and is happily playing in the family room with his truck until the five-year-old sees him. And what does the five-year-old do? He comes and gets the truck. He never wanted the truck. The little kid was playing with the truck. Why did he, what does he say? That is, it's my truck. You know, lust. That's where the problem comes in. That's where si- sibling rivalry comes in. husband comes home from work. And of course, he's had a busy day. And, and he's thinking, boy, I'm telling you, I am so worn out. You know, my boss gave me a hard time today. And that, that client I had to deal with, oh my goodness. And I just can't wait to get home. I want to go home. I want to prop up my feet. I want to read the paper. I want to watch TV. I don't want anything to bother me the other side of that equation is the wife and what's she thinking well let's see, today the washing machine broke down and then we got a bill which was more than we expected and one of the kids came home with a frowny face on their, their scoop and I can't wait for my husband to get home because I want to talk to him do you see the problem all of a sudden the door opens the husband walks in, what's going to happen here's what happens Words like you always or you never. You recognize those words? We well, always do this, but well, you never talk to me. Here's another one. You're just like your mother. Like, I, see, I, I see you recognize that, that phrase. So the problem comes from within, it comes from the individual person not responding as they should. Now. So that is the, the motivation factor for discord. Uh, everybody should be singing their part, but they're not. By the way, next week, that's what the lesson is going to be on. What are the parts we're supposed to sing? And yeah, we'll talk about it next week. But what about the age of discord? In James chapter 3, follow the verses carefully. Behold also the ships, which though they be great, are driven by fierce winds, yet they are turned about with a very small item, uh, helm, with the sword of the governor listeth. Even so the tongue... Is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth! Get ready. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that that it defileth the whole body. It setteth on fire the course of nature, and it set on fire of hell. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessings and cursings, my brethren. These things ought not to be. Why would James say that to a bunch of Christians? Because it was true. Because it was needed. What causes all the discord in our home? One little thing. By the way, if you notice, uh, look at. Well, let, me, let me go on. For in verse, verse number two. Look at verse. This is the last thing on that list. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word. The same as a perfect man, also able to bridle the whole body. Notice that controlling our tongue is a sign of maturity. So little kids can't control themselves very well, but we should. Adults should be able to control what we say. We should be in charge of our tongue. So here's the challenge of the home. We looked at it. We came up to it last time about the husband and wife. It says this in verse number 8 of uh, 1 Peter chapter 3. It says, be all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love his brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrariwise, knowing that you thereunto are called, that you should inherit a blessing. Now get this, for he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his, what? His tongue from evil and his... His lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it, for the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them do evil. Do you understand that our relationship in our home affects our relationship with God? Uh, let me say it a different way. We can't be right with God if we're not right with our mate, with our home. Uh, is very clear. He says, "Look, the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous." What's he talking about? What he just said about how we talk to one another, not rendering even. Notice the railing for railing. Back in the day when our kids were little, by the way, all of my kids are over fifty, so this is, you can tell how long this was back. We had a, a Osmoville Vista Cruiser. Now, unless you're old, you probably never saw one of those. But back in those days, we did not have car seats. We didn't need car seats. We put down the back seats all the way to the back. We laid a, a quilt on the back. And our kids, we'd go on a trip, and they crawled around and did all the things kids do. And you know, one, of the, one of the fun things, when it was time to eat lunch is now get, find your shoes. That was always great. They never could find their, maybe find one shoe. You know, That was always fun. But there was a game they played. And you know what the game was called? Gotcha last. And so they're all back there acting like little angels, you know, playing their little whatever they brought to do. By the way, my wife, this actually happened. She taught our kids to crochet. So here's my boys, you know, he boys back there crocheting. It kept them busy, kept their minds occupied, you know. But what would happen is one would go, "Mm," and the other would go, "Mm," and I got you last. "Mm, No, you didn't. I got you last. And, you know, it's back in the back. That's what homes are like. I got you last. You know, uh, you said something, so I'll say something better. Matter of fact, I remember one time a person told me, he said, my husband doesn't talk to me, but I know how to push his buttons. <laughs> yeah. You see, got you last. And that is not the way a Christian should do. Let him assure evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. And his ears are open to their prayers. Now, the model is Ephesians chapter 4, if you turn there, please. That's the text for tonight. How should a Christian home look like? What should it look like? How should, what should it be? I want to read the first, first three verses, beginning of verse number 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed to the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil, evil speaking, be put away from you with all malice. This is a great chapter. Uh, matter of fact, Pastor Todd this morning referred to the, the first part of chapter 4. It's a, it's, a, it's a pivotal chapter in Ephesians because it takes from the doctrinal to the practical. And beginning in chapter 4, it begins to talk about all the things that we as Christians need to do because of our salvation, because of who we are. And so he goes through and, and he talks about uh, putting off the old, taking off the old man, putting on the new. He talks about not living as the Gentiles live. I mean, all the practical things. But he comes to this last part of chapter 4. And he talks about our speech. And the first thing he says was let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Now, I think you know what the word no means, don't you? It means no. Don't let any corrupt communication. Now the question is, what is corrupt communication? Well, it depends on who's defining it. Uh, sometimes we might define it as well that ha- that has to do with cursing and swearing. Well, it, w- it would certainly be that. But it really the word the word there really means like rotten, of no use. Kind of yucky, you know? Hey, be careful. The Bible talks about don't... And by the way, this is not a suggestion. This is a command. Don't let any corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. That's a broad, wide statement that says don't do it. It's not going to turn out well. But that which is good to the use of edifying... That it may minister grace of the hearers. There are three words there you need to get your handle around. If, if we're not to commu- if we're not to well, let me put it this way, if we're to judge our speech, then there are three words you need to be aware of and you know what they mean. The first word is good. Is it good? And let me say it this way does it need to be said. There are many things that just don't need to be said. Um, when you're raising your kids. There's just some things you don't need to say. Sometimes you need to turn your head and just bite your tongue and don't say it. Uh, if you can't say it right, if you can't say it good, don't say it. If it needs to be good, the second thing is edifying. Now, one of the things that's happened in our day, I've heard it discussed. You probably have too, in the popular media, that the the the, the time in our culture when two people could disagree about an issue or about issues, maybe political issues or whatever, uh, and still be friends is just about gone. Because now, instead of just telling a person or, or debating ideas, why our ideas are different, we have to attack the person, make the person who disagrees with us a bad person. And that kind of thinking, that kind of atmosphere, sometimes spills spells over to the home. Uh, we say things about our do things to our wife or to our children that are not edifying does it attack their character there's a difference in using corrections and accusations uh, in a few weeks I'm going to talk about uh, children and how to discipline our children uh, you discipline them with love and I'll, I'll explain what that means but the fact is uh, what we say needs to be ed- needs to build up. To, to not just tear them down, to not call them names or say, you always do this. Why can't you ever obey me? Those kind of phrases are not good because they, they, they attack the person's character and not their behavior. Uh, we love our children with an everlasting love. Uh, we want them to do well. We want to correct them appropriately and to raise them properly. Bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Next week we'll talk about that so is it good is it edifying and is it gracious the kindest most gentle way to say it therefore we need to think about what we say before we say it and say it in the kindest most gentle way not, not attacking not accusations ask questions I think it was Ken Collier at the Wilds who said that question that, that accusations uh, cause a build up a response a negative response But questions open the heart. So ask questions. Rather than accusations. All the time. Now here is something. Everybody needs to be pulled up short about this. So not only should should our speech. Be guarded. No corrupt communication. It should be good. It should be edifying. It should be gracious. But grieve not. The Holy Spirit of God. Now don't, don't just pass over that. Because if you think about it. What does the Holy Spirit do? What is His ministry? By the way, does the Holy Spirit dwell in you if you're a believer? Of course He does. So look at this. The Holy Spirit sends us. He shows us where to go. He directs us. Uh, We wait sometimes on the direction of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Holy Spirit directs our ways. The Holy Spirit leads us. The Holy Spirit convicts us. It was Jim Berg who said... All God has to do, judges, is to leave us alone. Just to leave us alone. Listen, if the Holy Spirit stopped convicting us of sin, we would ruin ourselves. Right? We're sinners. And you know, it is that conviction of the Holy Spirit that says, no, 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 no. Uh, the Lord puts up these stop signs in front of us. And the Holy Spirit is the one who brings that to our attention. To help us to see it. we're about to go over a cliff. We're about to ruin ourselves. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts us. But the Holy Spirit is the one who comforts us too. Going through difficult times. I I know perhaps many of you in this room have been through those kind of times. And you know. I, I was talking with someone not from our church. that called me yesterday about an issue. A problem they're having. And uh. Something happened in their life that was just amazing to them. Out of the blue. Just, you know, hey, you know what happened? God hasn't forgotten. You know, she was going through a difficult, difficult time. There was no way out. It was dark. There was no way out. And all of a sudden she gets a phone call. And God has not forgotten. It is the Holy Spirit that comforts us. Many times in my life, because music is such an important part of my life. Many times, just at the right time, at a, maybe a dark moment or a moment when, when things aren't going well or t- when I'm confused and I don't know what to do, God brings to my heart a song. And the song is exactly what I need to hear. That's why I cherish so much the music and listening to these words, not just be entertaining, but to listen to what they're saying and to let God bring to my mind the truth of what they're saying, not just to serve but to love him with all of my heart. So the Holy Spirit is the one who brings those things to our mind. When I was in college, <clears throat> one of the things we had to do in, in Bible doctrines, uh, we met three times a week for two semesters, three times a week. And every class, we had a scripture verse to memorize. And so it was a, it was a common thing. You could always tell, the uh, usually freshman, junior, whoever, whatever you're taking, you had this big ring like this with all those scripture Verses on a big ring. Anybody ever have a ring like that with all the screws? Yeah, that's what I thought. You remember exactly what I'm talking about. And you know, in every class, every single class, you walk into the room, you sit down, take out a half sheet of paper, put your name on the top, and write out the scripture verse. And by the way, that that kind of got annoying, you know. <laughs> you, I got lots of stuff to do. And by the way, in our, the class I took, uh, Dr. Tillman was my teacher. If you missed a comma, if you miss one word, you got an F. Amen. Every word had to be perfect every time. Now, number, by the way, was that a bad thing? No, no because the words of Scripture are holy. Amen. And one word, one word or one thing out of place Gives it a whole different meaning. So we learn to appreciate the exact words of Scripture. But let me tell you what happens. M- hundred times, thousands of times, when I'm preaching, a verse will pop into my head that I haven't thought of in forever, and all of a sudden it's there. Where'd that come from? The Holy Spirit. Uh, sometimes, in, in a time when I'm talking with someone, perhaps uh, wrestling with a problem, an issue. Or I'm wrestling with a problem or issue myself. A, a suddenly a verse comes into my heart. And I'm going wow. That's right. That's exactly what I need to hear. And so it is the Holy Spirit. Now when I grieve the Holy Spirit. And he's talking here about our communication. In other words. Now listen folks this is serious. When our communication with one another. Isn't right. Isn't what it should be. Then the Holy Spirit is grieved if the Holy Spirit is grieved, then His ministry with us is hindered. And therefore, it is one of the most serious things we have to deal with. Remember, remember in, in 1 Peter chapter 3, the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and listen, His ears are open to their prayers. It's the same identical context. The way, don't, don't, don't minister railing for railing, and you know, all that kind of stuff. So, we must understand that, that to, to not grieve the Holy Spirit of God is a necessary action on our part. Now, notice this next thing, verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking put away from you with all malice. Clean out the closets of your heart. When you're talking to someone and you know, you're just carrying on a normal conversation and you say something and all of a sudden there's an explosion. What happened? You just hit a sore spot. Something's there. You see, do you know the term out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh? So in other words, if our speech is angry, if our speech reflects bitterness, if our speech is just jabber, 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 jabber. If, evil, if, if our speech is evil speaking, that means my speech is designed to hurt the other person, to get back at them, to make, get even with them. The problem is deeper than my tongue. The problem is my heart. So clean out the closet of your heart. If you'll clean the closet of your heart, you'll find your speech will also change. Or realize when your speech is wrong, it's coming from your heart. And there's something in there that's causing it. If, if you are bitter, uh, Peter, I'm sorry, the, the writer of Hebrews says that a root of bitterness springing up defile you. Bitterness is anger that is kept, that is... That is uh, developed that, that you hang on to in other words this, this whatever this is whatever, whatever I'm angry about is in there and it, it comes up all the time that's where I live that's what I think about wrath is, explode, is explosion in other words when, when all of a sudden somebody says something my, husband, my children say something you go bah. wrath it comes from the heart anger Anger is different than wrath. Anger is boiling. That's the word. It just boils. It just, you know, sometimes we sit around and figure how we're going to get even with the next, the other person. What am I going to say? You know, anger, a clamor, this is an interesting word, the derivation of the word is bird squawking. Yeah, So I squawking, you know, saying things you don't need to say. Why am I saying this? Why am I constantly talking all the time? Well, you know what? Hey, squaw- that comes from your heart. The need to just say something, the need to be noticed, the need to be heard. Evil speaking. That's the gotcha last part. You know, how to, say, how to say, you know, my husband won't talk to me, but I know how to get him to talk. I know where the buttons are. You know, that kind of thing where we, uh, we want to get back. We want to make them pay for how they've treated us. Matthew twelve thirty four says, Out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. Jesus said this, O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. Now get this. Now, he, he, he identifies, first of all, the, the, the wicked, unsaved people. He says, It is common and natural for an unsaved, wicked person to speak unsaved, wicked things. He says, a good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, bringeth forth good things. An evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, bringeth forth good things. I'm sorry, bringeth forth evil things. So it's obvious he's making a point here that by our speech, Jesus identifies good people and evil people. And we, by our speech, we are identified as good or evil. What kind of speech do we have? There ought to, we ought to be the kindest, gentlest, most thoughtful people in the world. Believers should be. Somebody say amen. amen. And yet often we find ourselves saying things that are not good. Why? It, what, that's in our heart. So let's clean out the closet. Let's get rid of those things. Look at this. Verse 36. But I say unto you. Now look at this. That every idle word that men shall speak. They shall give account thereof. In the day of judgment. Now look at this. For by thy words. Sh- thou shalt be justified. And by thy words. Thou shalt be condemned. So our words tell us. And, and you know there are some things like this. Passage of scripture That remind us to look at ourselves. Because it is so easy. Let's not. I've heard this ten thousand times. That's just the way I am. I just, I just get it all out there. I just say it, and I'm over with it, and everything's fine, right? Is that the way it works? Let's see. Let's take a shotgun and shoot it out here in this crowd, and say, "Well, I got it. I shot it. It's over with." All, no, whatever happens is out there, right? An arrow spent, and a word spoken cannot be recalled. An arrow spent and a word spoken cannot be recalled. So, what do we need to be? Well, verse 32 says, and here's the standard: but be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Be kind. He's talking about Christians with each other. Be kind. That means to be mild, to be pleasant. Have you ever known anybody you know, you don't know quite how to, what their what their spirit's going to be that day and how to talk to them because some days they're not real nice and some days you know they are and you know you don't quite know how to approach them. That should never be. Uh, they should always expect us to respond in a kind way to be. Compassion to be kind, to be pleasant as compared to being harsh or bitter. In other words, my words are going to determine what's in my heart. And I, and I, need, I need to fix that. Tenderhearted means compassionate, understand the feeling of others. When we talked about the, the, the uh, gentleman in 1 Peter chapter 3, the first thing is dwell with your wife according to knowledge, and listen to her. We should all be listeners. We should all seek to identify, to understand the other person's position, whatever they're going through, whatever the thing is that they want to talk about, the thing that they are, are burdened about, we need to be learned to listen, to be tender-hearted, and to be forgiving, to, to be forgiving. I'm quoting Pastor Hurst here i 'm not sure if it was original with him, but it's the best i've heard I've read books on many counseling books and, and nobody gets uh forgiveness right here here I think is a biblical picture of forgiveness there are three things: number one, don't dwell on the failures, in other words. When, when someone has, has said something to you, when you've been wronged in some way, don't dwell on it. Don't think about it. Don't dwell on it. Make it There's that bubbling up, that anger that just stays in it and just bubbles. Don't do it. Hey, we can control what we think about. Gird up the loins of your mind, the Bible says. Bring every thought into captivity of the obedience of Christ. You do not have to think about it. Someone said you, can, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop him from building a nest in your hair. So the first thing is don't don't dwell on it. Number two, don't bring it up to the offender. Remember the time you, remember the last time, remember what you said? Remember what? No, no, don't bring it up to them. I'll tell you why in just a minute. And don't share it with others when someone has offended us when, 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 so, when something has gone wrong when something is happening something you don't like the tendency is to tell somebody else now please I know I've used this illustration before I'm not repeating it because I'm senile. I'm reading it because you need to hear it when we share it with somebody else if Steve Dwyer and I have a problem and we don't as far as I know Steve we don't have a problem but let's suppose I go tell Steve about a problem I've got with John Wagner you know, John's just a rot- rotten person John I, you don't think I really mean that and, uh, you know, I tell Steve. So in the process of time, however, John and I reconcile. We talk, we work it out, we figure it out. I've forgiven John, John's forgiven me, we got it back. But what is not fixed? Steve. So when we share it with others, you know, and here's the thing. Steve hasn't heard the conversation. He didn't hear us talk. He didn't know that we were sincerely getting right he didn't he didn't hear that so he, he has no way to feel as we feel and so and by the way, he will take him an offense probably for one of us you know one of us is bound to be right so understand don't dwell on the don't dwell on the failures don't don't in your mind don't let yourself think about them don't bring it up to the offender don't share it with others now here's the reason listen carefully vengeance is mine i will repay saith the lord If that person who says something wrong to you needs to be dealt with, what? God will do it. If if there needs to be something done, God will do it. Wait a minute. Does God know about the the, the person who offended me? The answer is, of course he does. does. Does God care? Of course he does. So therefore... We have to trust God. That whole path. That's in, by the way. That's Romans chapter twelve. That we have to trust God to do it the right way, and to let God deal with the issues. And we don't have to defend ourselves and, and argue with them or, or try to make them pay. If they need, to, if something needs to be done, God will take care of it. And God always does. And God will. And God is righteous. And God is just, God is just. So vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. But look at the standard. Forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, I've forgiven you. Now, let that soak in your mind a minute. How has God forgiven you? Don't respond. How many of you have sinned today? How many of you have sinned yesterday? How many of you have done something you know is wrong? How does God deal with us? How, How does God... What is God? God lovingly draws us to Himself. God pardons us; that our sins were pardoned at the cross. One of the things that we talked about uh, about is that uh, regrets. You know Hebrews, Hebrews ten. Oh, I taught Sunday school last Sunday. Bill, Bill Lake was sick. Not over him. And you know it talks about going to the throne of grace uh, with a clean conscience. Well, listen, we're sinners. Any sinners in this room? Let me see. All you guys are sinners? There are eight of you. I'm glad to see you. I'm not the only one in here. But we're sinners. And how do we have a clean conscience? Because God has washed it clean. Dark the sin that soiled man's nature. Long the distance that he fell. Far removed from hope in heaven. Near to deep despair in hell. But there was a fountain opened. And the blood of God's own son purifies the soul and reaches, listen, deeper than the stain is gone. You see, God has washed us clean. And therefore, when we come to that holy place, we come as cleansed sinners through the blood of Christ. He said we enter that holy place through the blood of Christ, not our own merit." So that's how God forgives us. He doesn't, he doesn't bring it up. You know what? We bring it up. Guilty conscience. It was Shakespeare who said. Conscience makes cowards of us all. You know we, we dwell on our sins and our failures. But God doesn't dwell on our sins and failures. He hath made him. Listen he hath made him sin for us. Who knew no sin. That was to this. That we might be made. The righteousness of God. In him boy so therefore we need to get forgive as God has forgiven us to put it aside to not see them that way to honor God's truth and to treat people as they should we should forgive as God has forgiven us so you don't want to know the problem of discord in our home I can tell you quickly how to know that Look in the mirror. If you want to know the problems in our home, look in the mirror. Not at your wife or your husband or your children or your boss. Look in the mirror. Now, one more time, we're going to say this. We're going to change one word. I said, You cannot change others. You can only change yourself. When you change others, in relation to you, we're going to change the you to I. And we're all going to confess our sins together. Are you ready? Will you say it that way? Will all of you say it? I hope so. Because I'm going to see who's not saying it. I'm going to call your name out. Here we go. (laughs) Ready? I cannot change others. I can only change myself. When I change, others tend to change in relation to me. And that's the truth. And that's the way it works. And if we learn to do that, we learn to control our speech, we'll find that harmony can be in the home let's pray together thank you father for the truth of your word lord we would be as sheep having no shepherd if we did not have the truth of your word to guide us and lord we have so much to learn so many so many ways we need to change but teach us lord to accept the truth of your word as the final right answer and teach us lord to live in accordance with the things you've taught us I thank you for the listening listening audience tonight. For those who listen carefully. And I pray that your word would have its lasting effect. It would be word. That we would not just be hearers. But we would be doers of the word. And I ask that in Jesus name. That name above every name. Amen.